Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. This show is for anyone on this earth that is passionate about making other people healthier in this world. We've had providers, we've had payers, uh, VCs on the call, um, health tech providers, all of which have a different stake in this full spectrum of enabling people to get healthier. But I'm really excited today. I don't want to steal his thunder. We have Vignesh Ravi Kumar. He's a VP, a vice president over at at Sierra Ventures. Uh, Vignesh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Anthony. Really appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for making time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to share your passions, your origin story. And along those lines, tell us how you got started. Tell us a little bit, take us back and how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, so I uh, joined Sierra about six years ago. I was a former banker, and while I was at my bank, we ended up doing business with Sierra. Um, kind of cold emailed one of the MDs while I was uh, while I was at AGC, and uh, and and you know things ended up working out, and I joined Sierra again, like I said, about six years ago. Uh, you know, maybe I'll talk a little bit about how how I got into healthcare and why why I'm excited about healthcare. Um, so I, you know, I don't have a formal background in the space, but. You know, about maybe three, four years ago, we really started looking at um, a couple of companies more on the pharma and the clinical trial side. Uh, but as we started spending time there, it became very clear that uh, there was a wave of companies that was coming that was leveraging new technologies, whether that's AI today or whether that was just the fact that you had mobile phone penetration, things like that um, popping up that was going to lead to some really, really big, interesting companies that were obviously going to make the world a better place. Uh, and more importantly, on the on the Sierra side, we we have a CIO advisory board, it's an advisory board of about 75, 80, Fortune 2000 CIOs and CTOs. And, uh, you know, on that board, we have a very strong pharma presence. And so just given the, uh, the personal interest I had in the space and given the resources we had at Sierra, uh, really started digging into into healthcare uh, across the board, and uh, that's that's kind of how we, how I got here. No, that's that's great to hear. Super exciting that you know, um, you know, really sounds like a good org- org- organic jump, but uh, you know, really played into your your passions. And you know, I know you're you know obviously you know big into healthcare, um, you know, variety of different spaces. Obviously, that Sierra invests in, but you know, obviously VCs are betting you know, with their dollars, right? They're, or voting with their dollars. Can you tell us a little bit about your passions in health? Maybe some specific themes. Obviously, we've had on the show people talk about everything from AI to CRISPR and, you know, and mindfulness and everything in between. But maybe if you want to pick a few, um, you know, uh, subtopics in health and, uh, you know, explain them a little bit and why you're passionate about them. Yeah, let me uh, start with the clinical trial space. I, uh, you know, again, this was kind of the foray I had into into healthcare, and so it's always been the most interesting topic uh, for me. And you know, I, I would say it took us and about three years before we finally did our first deal in the space. But uh, we we finally did our, our made our first investment uh, in the space last quarter. Unfortunately, we haven't announced it yet, so I can't uh, say too much about the company, but. What I will say is that uh, they're solving a, a workflow problem uh, that that occurs in the space and are going about it in a very unique way. And I'll I'll mention a bit of how they've gotten to distribution, and I'll I'll talk a bit about uh, why that's why that's relevant to other companies we're seeing. And so what this company has found a way to do is get sites where the trials are being done 
to start adopting the software and start using the software uh, without a lot of prompting either from the company or from the sponsors. And so what that means is that you're starting to build a network of sites without uh, having to put in the resources, the man, you know, the man resources or the technical resources uh, to, to, to individually drive adoption. And so as the marketplace and as the network starts building up, the data that they're able to capture at the site level, which is really around kind of, you know, who's coming in, what are the inclusion exclusion criteria they're hitting, how many patients are showing up, how often is the site calling them? So really workflow based stuff. But this data becomes very valuable and very unique as you get scale. And, and pharma companies are obviously willing to spend a lot of dollars to to uh, to get access to this uh, to get access to this information. And the reason I bring it up, and this kind of goes to a broader trend that you know we think about and we look at here, is really around how do you get uh, a how do you get better adoption from the users in healthcare. I mean, I think historically healthcare has been very much a top-down driven uh, driven uh, uh, industry, but you know I think healthcare is going to start seeing. Uh, some level of bottoms-up adoption like you see in other industries. And while, you know, it's unclear to me if it'll happen within the health system since they have a little bit more, uh, you know, regulations that they have to deal with. But if you think about uh, companies that are going direct to consumer like a Calm or a Headspace, uh, which are a bit more on the periphery of healthcare, you're starting to see big companies that, that are being built uh, by going to the consumer and going to the user first, getting the user on board, starting to collect data, get the user excited about the product, and then finding ways to monetize that uh, by going to the by going to the big source of dollars, whether that be pharma, health systems, or payers. Um, and and so I guess uh, you know in in that vein, so that's kind of the one one of the examples or one of the higher level themes of this deal that we did. And the other theme I would mention around this uh, around this company was the automation and kind of the workflow automation that they're that they're kind of uh, building. And this actually ties into another deal we did last year, which we've announced uh, called Deep Lens, which is in the uh, broadly speaking, in the in the AI for pathology space or the digital pathology space, uh, but they again are taking much more of a workflow approach to to pathology. Uh, mm-hmm. which obviously, there are a lot of companies that are trying to tackle the AI problem, but what these guys realized was that you know there's just not a lot of data in the first place in in pathology, right. given how far behind it's been of radiology, and so they're trying to solve that workflow problem. And again. They had an open source background, and so the the team came out of Nationwide Children's Hospital, and uh, and was building off on the backs of a software called Viper, which one of the co-founders had developed. That has gotten brought uh, adoption on the academic side, of uh, you know purely on a bottoms up basis, and now they're taking that software and, and moving it to the uh, to the clinical side, and and so you know we really think that again bottoms up adoption, solving big workflow problems are is are really the two core components of be, being able to build a big company. And so those are the two broad themes that we're very excited about. Nice, nice, Vignesh. No, this is this is super helpful. Uh, you know, for our listeners out there, obviously when you when you're talking about problems and solutions in the space, you know, there's there's the clouds and there's the dirt aspect of this in terms of like clouds, you know, how big, you know, whether it's the pathology AI or the clinical trial space, how big are those problems? How do you determine if it's a, if it's a large enough market size and how do you, how do you, how do you quantify those markets? And then, you know, on the going to market side and the, you know, the consumerization side, like how does, how does scale happen? How does, how does an idea, an initial minimal viable product, you know, get accept, start to get accepted by pharma. So maybe you can talk a little bit about just like market sizing and then, you know, some of the attributes for like companies like this on how they're getting their, their traction and getting, getting people to buy their products. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, on the on the first uh, first topic of sizing market. So uh, I think it's a bit of a uh, bit like what you said about VCs voting with their dollars. It's you know at the end of the day, it's about uh, buyers, whether that's again pharma, health systems, payers voting with their dollars. And really, for us, we try to think of this more from you know we we really try to think about how do you build a hundred million dollar uh, ARR business, right, an annual recurring revenue business, and that's always kind of the the baseline for what we think about as a standalone business. And so really the way we think about it, for example, you know, they're, you know, in the, in pharma, for, for example, uh, there, there are 30 very large pharma companies. And then there are obviously a bunch of, you know, mid-sized and smaller pharma companies, uh, you know, in the layers below. And you have to believe that if you're going to sell into pharma and pharma is going to be, you know, your only source of dollars, then the pharma companies have to be able to spend, you know, upwards of a, you know, far four to, you know, $5 million a year. Uh, in order to be able to to get to meaningful scale in in that space, and so you know the way we really think about market sizing uh, is 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 a little bit simple, but um, you know it's really just about are there enough customers and can those customers spend enough spend enough dollars? Um, right. And then the devil is in the details, and kind of going to your good segue to your to your other question, which is how do you get adoption? And so uh, really that's that's the challenge, and I think. Companies in healthcare that figure out how to, you know, hack the hack the sales cycle are the ones that are the are the ones that are going to be successful. And really, what we found, you know, with both of these companies is, um, you, you just have to go find those power users, and you have to be smart and be willing to test uh, how to how to get to those power users. And and you know what what uh, what Deep Lens obviously is finding is that. When you go to hospitals that are, uh, you know, historically academic health systems, but are starting to figure out ways to move digital pathology into the clinical setting, those are great targets for these guys to go to go talk to, um, mm-hmm. because a there's a good chance they may have been using the open source product, and b because uh, because they have a an economic incentive to start using software uh, to solve their problems. Um, you know, by far and large, most hospitals probably don't have digital pathology just yet, but we see it coming down the pipeline. Um, but, you know, if you're in an academic medical center, there's a good chance you already have a have a digital pathology machine or machine to digitize your slides. And so if that infrastructure is already in place, now you need something to figure out your workflow. And so going and being able to uh, pinpoint those academic medical centers, really trying to do a direct top down sales there was was critical for them. For the clinical trial company, on the other hand, um, for them, it was a little bit different. Uh, you know, again, because they were a bit of a marketplace, they needed a way to get a little bit of a flywheel turning in the early days. And so, the first pharma customer they partnered with started to help them get uh, deeper into into some of these sites, and that was kind of the way they built up the initial corpus of sites. But what they were quickly finding was that again, they solved the problem at the site level so uniquely and so well that the PIs or the you know the uh, the researchers at these sites. Uh, we're starting to talk about the software at these weekly meetings that most of them most of them attend, and they you know basically have kind of conversation around like, hey, you know, we're doing X Y Z, and you know it's it's always a challenge to you know track all the stuff on pen and paper. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? And usually the answer has been we use either Excel spreadsheets or Google Sheets or pen and paper, and and mm-hmm. you know the the sites that adopted uh, the software. We're starting to come out and talk about, hey, you know, we use this really cool piece of software. Uh, it allows us to keep track of all our patients that show up. It allows us to keep track of, you know, when we talk to them, when we last talk to them, where are they in the process, and and it's really improved our uh, and it's really improved our efficiency and and speed with, with speed at which we get paid. 
And so from, you know, so, so really that was kind of the first part of it was they built a product that solved the problem for, for the user that kind of got this natural word of mouth going. But then the second part was product innovation. And so simple things like putting buttons in the software that say you can add new trials started to make started to make customer make customers more sticky and so mm. i think for for you know companies and that are, that are tackling this problem from you know uh, or are trying to bring consumerization to the healthcare space you have to think about it like a consumer company would or a or an enterprise or any other enterprise company that's figured out how to consumerize their software right you got to think about how do you get virality and how do you get uh, natural product adoption using uh, using uh, kind of product product and growth hacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Big Nash, this is super powerful, and I appreciate you taking us through. You know, definitely, I, I think the physics and the economics at a at a high level, but then also, you know, the the key traction points on just getting customers, keeping customers, making them happy, rinse, repeat, and so this is. You know, super, super helpful, super powerful stuff. Uh, so from AI to, to workflows, what are some other themes that you're, you're delving into that you're, you're passionate about and, and excited about that, you know, maybe some thematic things that are paving the way for the, the future uh, in healthcare as well? Yeah, so I would say, um, you know, there are three areas that, uh, that I'm currently excited about. And then there's an area that I'm excited about in the future. So maybe I'll talk about the stuff that we're currently excited about right now. So the first topic is definitely genomics. And, you know, I think for all the noise that's been made in the market, uh, you know, whether that's media talking about the FBI looking into acquiring uh, people right. genomics records or, uh, or, you know, more consumer tests and, you know, so on and so forth. The reality is that uh, in most health systems, they don't use genomics uh, or full genome sequencing for any sort of, uh, you know, pr- providing of care. Um, but the science has, has, you know, made a lot of progress, but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the commercial side of it has caught up. Um, now, obviously, Color and Helix, and there are a bunch of other folks like that that are trying to find ways to get full genome sequencing into the health system. Um, but it's it's still relatively early, and so I think you know, given given some of those factors, um, I really think that there's an opportunity to build a big company, uh, especially on the software side, right? And and I think again, all the investment so far has really gone into how do I build better tests, how do I build more tests, how do I, you know, help figure out you know what these tests mean. But from a from a uh, patient uh, kind of or from a care care perspective. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of software out there that's able to track, you know, longitudinal data about a patient uh, and their genome and how it responds to, you know, everything from, you know, new drugs to new treatments um, to new uh, exercise regimens and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I really think that as the as these tests become more pervasive, as payers start finding ways or start approving some of these tests for full reimbursement and they become more commonplace in the health system. Uh, there's really going to be an opportunity to build software platforms around just this massive set of data that's coming in. Um, and, and so that's an area that I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, not only for 19, but in 20 as well. Uh, the second thing that I'm, I'm very excited about, and, you know, I think uh, is really RPA and automation. RPA stands for robotic process automation. And so you, mm-hmm. you and the listeners may have heard of companies like UiPath and Automation Anywhere. Uh, that are now just, you know, doing really, really well. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's just amazing the, the amount of traction these guys are getting. And, and it's a, you know, it's a very simple value prop, right? You know, help your, help your employees become more efficient by repeat, by 
removing the repetitive rote tasks that they that they do and automating them away. And I think we all know in healthcare there are a lot of those kind of tasks uh, mm-hmm. that that are you know that are ripe to be dis- that are ripe to be automated. And, and so I think uh, today there's not a lot of a uh, lot of penetration uh, as far as RPA goes in, into the healthcare market. But I think you're, you're going to start seeing that. Uh, happen very quickly now whether or not you know there are going to be standalone companies that only solve this problem uh for healthcare is uh, i think still uh tbd but uh you know mm-hmm. when you think about companies like think about companies that are doing prior auth automation right they're a flavor of rpa and so i think we've seen some companies at least try to approach the problem uh but now that there's a common uh now that there's so much hype around this market i think I think people in the healthcare world are going to start taking a lot more notice and you'll start to see a lot more companies that position themselves as either RPA or some sort of kind of automation tool. And so th- that's a that's the second area that I'm excited about. And then the third area that, that I'm excited about is uh, remote patient care and monitoring. I mean, I, you know, this is something that obviously we've uh, everybody in, in the healthcare industry has talked about for a long time and is really trying to figure out how to how to do this and and it seems like the devices and the and the software to manage those devices is starting to get to the point uh, where it's it's effectively commoditized uh, or, mm-hmm. or relatively easier to build. And so now it's a question of uh, getting insurers to start covering the cost for these. And I think you know we started to see some of those CPT codes come out for reimbursing uh, reimbursing remote uh, remote care. Uh, so I think we're going to mm-hmm. start seeing a lot more of these devices being given out by health systems uh, to their patients. And, and now uh, once you have that, you know, ubiquitous or the, the ubiquity of devices kind of across your patient populations, then it becomes a question of what do you do with the data? And, and that's where we start getting into some really interesting applications and uh, things you can uh, things you can do. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Vignesh, this is you know, three powerful themes, right? Genomics. Um, uh, remote patient monitoring and then, uh, you know, automation as well. And uh, it, it's, it's all very fascinating. We just had GE Healthcare on, GE Healthcare on the show and, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about genomics. One thing we weren't able to dive into is kind of like genomics, like Dana Life in action, right? And so there's some scenarios that I'm fascinated by. It feels like we're on the verge of like real, real world, you know, Captain America's running around or Steve Rogers, super soldiers. But, you know, there's there's CRISPR, there's genomics, and then there's, you know, altering, uh, you know, human beings. There's a lot of obviously controversy and debate of what, what happened with the, um, the gentleman in China, right? That the CRISPR stuff that's going on over there. But what's a, what's a day in a life of like genomics in action? Where is it where someone will have a disease um, and, you know, you, you, we really will have in our in our grasp an, an ability to identify um, what they have and, and, and almost like do like biological, like alchemy sort of, or, you know, maybe you can explain to our listeners a little bit, a, a day in the life of genomics. And then obviously would love to, you know, hear a, a similar day in the life of the automation and, um, remote patient monitoring as well. Yeah. Uh, let me start with the genomics and, and, you know, I'll talk a bit about another deal again, we haven't announced this one yet, but we're, we're excited mm-hmm. about the, uh, potential here. Um, you know, I think, you know, CRISPR and, and some of the, uh, designer babies and and all the stuff that has really been hitting the media. It, it's it, it, it sounds either really cool or really terrifying, depending on your perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think there there are intermediate a lot a lot of intermediary steps where we can generate a lot of value. And I think the f- the first and the most important area that we'll we'll start seeing this is in personalized medicine, um, being able to give 
patients some sort of hint into what are potential things like, you know, are you are a carrier for breast cancer uh, for, you know, BRCA, right? So being able to being able to give patients some sense of, you know, here are the potential risks that you face based on your genome, um, I think is a, is a very powerful place to start. And then, you know, from there, once you, again, start collecting that longitudinal data, um, I think the, you know, payers can start using it to better figure out, you know, what's their actual risk within their patient population. Same thing with the provider, especially if we start moving into a world where value-based starts taking over. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to need to figure out who are your biggest sources of risk and not just based off of, you know, obviously we all know about the the impact of, you know, social determinants of health on, on kind of cost. Um, but I think, you know, the genomics definitely are, uh, are reflect an uh, individual is not only their innate uh, risk and innate kind of uh, potential health issues, but also kind of that also it reflects the lifestyle that they live. And so I think really, uh, I think, you know, genomics is really going to uh, impact that personalized medicine space. And, you know, this company we just invested in uh, is quite interesting because they're trying to use this data to start helping doctors, uh, start helping physicians figure out uh, what are the uh, best potential treatments for an individual given a given the genomic data of that individual? And you know, they're very very early days, um, but they're working uh, with Intermountain Health right now. And really, and and you know, when we were talking to them, uh, you know, they were saying that you know, obviously they've set up their own uh, person, you know, they've set up the, their own uh, precision medicine uh, 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 clinic and. Um, once they've set that up, you know, they're trying to figure out how to actually leverage and use the data that they're that they're generating. And so I think uh, I think the leading health systems know that genomics is going to have an impact on being able to do things like personalized medicine, um, but they don't know how to mm-hmm. use the data just yet. And so I think, uh, you know, how, how it's going to be used first and foremost is you're going to help, you know, you're going to start figuring out what are the best treatments for an individual based off of what they're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, based off of what their genetics are telling you. And then you can start eventually doing things like, you know, actually designing drugs and designing therapies and treatments for an individual based off of their, uh, based off of their genetics. And so I think that's really where in the short term, where you're going to see the biggest impact of genomics. Um, and then on the RPA yeah. automation side, I yeah. mean, no, super fascinating. Oh, yeah, yeah, you saw it. Yeah. You saw it, you know, just, no, I was going to say, no, it's just super fascinating. I mean, it, 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 it feels like there's a huge consumerization movement too. You know, I, I think it was 23 and me that just announced that they were going to have a diabetes test. And, and, and so, you know, just lots of, lots of excitement there, but, uh, yeah, Vignesh, yeah. If you can elaborate a little bit more on the, the automation side as well, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, no, I, I think automation is probably a little bit more, uh, it's called it boring. It's going to be taking away tasks like, Prioritization. I think one of the you know more interesting uh, interesting applications I've heard so far was talking to a friend at a uh, large health system on the East Coast, and you know he was telling me that uh, a bunch of hospitals have actually figured out how to use RPA to do prior auth and or automate prior auth. And what's ending up happening is the volume of of messages that they're sending to the insurers was getting so high that the insurers started building their own RPA to tackle the prior auth messages oh, from wow. the health systems. And so, and so I think, you know, again, it's, it, you're, that's probably an extreme example, but that's kind of the stuff that's going to be, uh, start getting automated, right? Like whether it's, whether it's coding, uh, whether, whether it's, you know, helping, helping doctors fill out, uh, helping doctors, you know, do their notes in their EHR. So it's going to be all the kind of the rote repetitive tasks 
that, you know, we cite a lot when we talk about things like burnout and, and, and health systems and kind of our, you know, causes that, you know, or things that add to the cost in healthcare. I think those are really ripe for automation, but there's just a lot of use cases. Um, and, and so it's going to be more of those like back office kind of non-patient facing tasks that, that automation is really going to uh, handle and, and it's going to have a big impact for sure. Now, super fascinating. And so, you know, on the, on the, on the remote patient monitoring side and the RPA, uh, that's what I was going to ask you, you know, do you see any opportunities more on the front end for the patient of, of process automation, maybe on the triggering side of, you know, these, these remote patient devices and services, whether it's voice or uh, a device, you know, you're getting an input, you could potentially have something else happen. Do you see any opportunities or possibilities for for automation happening you know on, on that side yeah no i think i think you do right i mean we've started to see again this is uh maybe a little bit less on the pace straight patient facing side but uh sure. you know there are examples we've seen of companies that are doing uh you know ai based transcription for doctor's notes right and and so again not it doesn't directly impact the patient as in the patient is not looking at the technology or touching the technology but the fact that, you know, the doctor is now not typing notes into their laptop and has the ability to, you know, record their record the conversation and transcribe that automatically without having to type just means that the doctor is able to have a better, uh, you know, have more communication with the with the patient. Right. And so I think things like that definitely do impact uh, automation will definitely have a positive impact on the patient. Um, and then on the other side, you know, there are things we've heard around how do you nudge patients to head to the right uh, to the right, you know, uh, uh, care path. And obviously, you know, health is something mm -hmm. that is very, very personal. And obviously, you know, when things are happening to you, it's never, uh, it's never minor. Right. And, but right. You know, obviously we all know that, uh, you shouldn't just go to the emergency room for small things and, you know, it just adds cost to the system, you know, quite frankly, probably a hassle for the patient as well. And, and I think, you know, things like automation are going to be able to do simple like triage, right? Before you come in, you know, you can use automation to say, hey, you know, how, what's the level of pain? One to 10, you know, how, uh, you know, is your ankle hurting? Does it hurt when you, you know, when you flex it upwards, when you flex it downwards? And so a lot of those repetitive tasks that happen when a patient gets into the, in, you know, into a hospital or into the point of care to try to figure out kind of what's going on with that patient, I do think you're going to start seeing automation, uh, automation tackling that, those problems. Super, super exciting, Vignesh. Yeah, no, this was great and, you know, really appreciate and, and I want to be, uh, you know, respectful of your time. This has been great to really explore the, the spectrum of, of trends happening in healthcare. And I think you've hit some, some really interesting points. Uh, really exciting that obviously you guys at Sierra Ventures are, are, are voting with your dollars and that you have some you know, potential new deals in place uh, or in play here to, to fall against those topics. And uh, Vignesh, we'd love to have you back on the show, especially as some of these deals come to fruition. But um, you know, just recap kind of more of what you're seeing. You know, obviously from your perspective, you're seeing you know uh, almost magic happen in healthcare, right? These companies pop up, and you know, possibilities that didn't even exist three years ago now are are you know potentially six to you know three to six three years to six months away from being commercialized and and being available. So it's super exciting, um, Vignesh. Um, What's a good way for our listeners to get in contact with you if they like to engage with yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, LinkedIn, I'm always available on LinkedIn, just Vignesh Ravikumar, R-A-V-I-K-U-M-A-R. Um, and then my email, I'm uh, very accessible by email as well. It's Vignesh at sierraventures.com. 
my email is on our on our company's website, um, SierraVentures.com, and uh, first name is V I G N E S H. And so, uh, definitely accessible. Always love chatting with with folks in and around the healthcare space, whether it's entrepreneurs, operators, or providers, or kind of what have you. We're we're always uh, we're always happy to have that conversation, and um, and I'm always try to I'm always happy to see how I can be helpful. Absolutely, Big Nash. Well, I always appreciate I always appreciate our conversations. I appreciate not just your depth, but how it's coded in, you know, true, sincere passion. And uh, the combination of that, I, I obviously, you know, Sierra is benefiting from that that decision making power that that you're ushering in and that you're leading. So we appreciate your leadership in the space. Uh, Vignesh, thanks so much for being on the show. And to our listeners out there, again, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a passion for making other people healthier in this world. Again, Vignesh, thank you so much for being on our yeah, show. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Really appreciate it. And uh, obviously happy to come on again. I really enjoyed the uh, conversation. Thanks. Thanks so much. Much appreciated.